Welcome to I Must Discuss, and today I must discuss the ninth episode of House of the Dragon. The king is dead, and we see how Team Green handles the aftermath. Now, this recap contains spoilers for episode nine, so if you haven't watched it yet, go do that, and then come back and listen to this recap. Now, let's get into it. This is the penultimate episode of House of the Dragon. It's a 10-episode season. This is episode 9. And it's called The Green Council. But I'm going to call it The Best Laid Plans. If you're not familiar with that saying, it goes like this. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. I think that sums up this episode pretty well. The timeline of this episode is the 24 hours between Viserys dying alone in his bed and Aegon's coronation. We get this dramatic opening shot of the Iron Throne, spotlight on the throne, and it's empty. The small council room is empty. The hallways are empty. And then we see a little servant boy walk through the kitchen and give the news to Talia. If you remember, Talia is Allison's handmaid. The king is dead. Elvis has left the building. Talia tells Allison, who is sad, she's legitimately sad, but then she rushes to get dressed. She tells Talia not to tell anybody. Impossible for Talia because she's part of the spy network for the White Worm. Then Allison immediately goes to Otto, who wants to know who else knows the king is dead. She's like, my handmaiden and some of the servants. And here is where her dumb butt messes up. Allison tells her dad that with Viserys' last breath, he told her he wanted Aegon to rule. And Otto looks at her like, say what now? Meanwhile, Talia lights candles in the window, which is clearly sending a signal to the white worm about the king's death. And from what I can see, it looked like the top candle was not lit. So maybe that was like the sick, but all the other candles were lit. So maybe that was like the signal that the king is dead. Anyway, the small council is gathered before dawn to talk about next steps. Apparently, but very unsurprisingly, they have been plotting for years this whole time to usurp Rhaenyra. And Allison is gobsmacked that this is going on. And once again, I'm like, girl, you stupid. Anyway, um, Lord Beesbury calls them out for being treasonous and that this is definitely not what King Viserys wanted. And Sir Kristen, who is scum of the earth at this point, smacks Lord Beesbury's head down on the table and kills him. Lord Commander Westerling tells Sir Kristen to put his sword away and to take off your cloak. He's like, you are, you have crossed the line. You are depraved. And Kristen is like, I won't stand for insults to the queen. And he branches his sword and he won't even put his sword down until Allison tells him to. So Sir Kristen has no moral compass left, in my opinion. He's completely out of control. Otto wants Rhaenyra's entire family killed and he orders Lord Commander Westerling to go do it. And the Lord Commander is like, look, I only take orders from the king. Let me know when there's a king here and then we can talk then. So... Helena, then we cut to Helena and she's talking to her kids about jealousy. And she says, if 
If one possesses a thing, the other will take it away. And Allison and Otto barge in, asking where where's Aegon, and Helena is like, he's not here. And then she puts her head down, and then she's like, well, what happened? And Allison starts to tell her that you know her the king is dead, but Helena interrupts her with her prophecy, saying, "There's a beast beneath the boards." And so, and she said that last episode too. Then we see Amon enter the room. Once Otto realizes that no one knows where Aegon is, he goes to find one of the king's guard and he runs into, he locates Eric Cargill. Now he's one half of the Cargill twins and their names are Eric with an E and Eric with an A. Like that's not confusing. Not only do they look identical, they have literally the same name except for one letter. So from here on out, one is Eric with an E and the other is Eric with an A. So Otto finds Eric with an E and says, where's Aegon? Eric is like, I don't know. And then Otto's like, ain't it your job to know where he is? And then Eric's like, look, he's probably in the city. So Otto tells him to go get his twin brother, Eric with an A, go in disguise and find him and don't tell anybody what you're doing, where you're going, and do not tell the queen. Meanwhile, Rhaenys wakes up and realizes that she's locked in her room. And she looks outside and there's like all these people rushing around. She's like, what is going on? And then you see, we cut to the servants who know that the king is dead and they get locked up in the dungeon. And Lara Strong is watching this happen. Then Sir Kristen lets Alicent know that Aegon's not in the castle. And so she sends Sir Kristen into the city to go find him. And then Aemon volunteers to go with him. Otto is in the throne room trying to shore up support for Aegon and then Lord Caswell refuses to bend the knee. Uh, excuse me, not Lord Caswell, some other lord whose name I do not know and a woman from House Fell, they refuse to bend the knee and say they're loyal to the princess. So they're led away by guards at best to be jailed, at worst to be killed. We never see them again. <laughs> And Laris is also watching this from his perch. So Eric and Eric, the Cargill twins, they are out and about in King's Landing trying to find Aegon. They end up at a children's fight club. They spot, they spot likely to be one of Aegon's unofficial, hint, hint, unofficial children uh, in the crowd. And in these fight rings, they make the kids like grow their nails long and then they file their teeth to make them pointy, which quote unquote makes them more formidable, just disgusting. And so Eric with an E says, Aegon comes here all the time. Look at the type of man he is. Then Amond is with Kristen Cole and he's complaining on how he should be King. He's like, I train, I study, I have the biggest dragon in the world, I should be king. And it's like, man, boo-hoo, cry me a river, man, okay? So then we cut back to the Cargill twins at the Kitty Fight Club, and a young woman approaches them saying that she has info, she knows where Aegon is. Well, not that she knows, but that the white worm, Masaria, knows the location of Aegon. We're back at the Red Keep and Lord Caswell is trying to leave on his horse and he's almost out the gate, but then he gets stopped. 
Next thing we know, we cut to Lord Caswell with Otto and Laris. And Laris apparently dropped a dime on Lord Caswell. Yeah, Laris dropped a dime on Lord Caswell. And he's like, so Otto's like, well, why were you trying to leave? And uh, Lord Caswell's like, I don't even like her like that. I don't really, I don't really mess with her like that. <laughs> but he's a terrible liar. Otto doesn't buy it. And he gets dragged away by the guards. And then Otto uh, talks to Laris. He's like, good job, Laris. And he's like, I see you've been spending a lot of time with the queen. And then Laris looks at him in his creep way and was like, there's no reason that in the end, those hours benefit you. And it's like, ugh, what a sicko. Allison is with Viserys body as he's being prepared for the pyre. And she puts the crown on his body and she weeps. Then she goes to visit Rhaenys and she asks her for her support in usurping the throne from Rhaenyra. And then Rhaenys is like, why? And we learn that Allison also wants to keep Rhaenys's dragon on her side. And so Rhaenys is like, you are smart and dumb at the same time. And she kind of reads her for filth, and I'm just going to play that clip. Yet you toil still in service to men. Your father, your husband, your son. You desire not to be free, but to make a window in the wall of your prison. Have you never imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? Rhaenys is like, you are so dumb. You don't even realize you're just a pawn on this chessboard called Westeros, okay? She was like, you are so being used by all the men in your life that you're not even, you don't even have the thought in your brain to take control of the throne for yourself. Because in Allison's position, if she wanted to, she actually could pull a Cersei and take the crown for herself but she's been so conditioned you know she is a product of her environment but at the same time she has agency um because she knows when to order people around and do stuff so um this uh i my feeling about allison goes like this i'm supposed to feel sorry for that i don't next we're in the streets of king's landing and we see Masaria meeting with Otto. And Masaria lets him know that she knows the king is dead. And so Otto's shook because like he thinks he's been able to, to contain the news from getting out. And so she has Aegon. And in exchange for Aegon, she wants an end to the children's fighting pits. Now that seems reasonable. And then like Otto agrees or whatever. But like... She gets no collateral. So I guess in her mind, Otto's word is good enough. And this is where I have an issue because like if she, if Masaria is the white worm, she's the master of secrets or whatever she's supposed to be. She ought to know better than to just take Otto's word for it. And we don't have any evidence on screen that she got any kind of assurance or security. For example, in Game of Thrones, whenever they would make agreements, 
they would literally take someone's kid and be like, okay, we agreed to this. I'm going to hold on to your kid until this comes to pass. Okay, like kind of like with Theon living with the Starks and they sent uh, Marcella to live in Dorne. I do not understand being a former lady of the evening you would think she would have enough street smarts to get something to secure this deal. But from all evidence, she doesn't get any type of assurance other than, yeah, okay, I'll do it to secure the end of these fighting pits. So, girl, you are dumb. You are really dumb. Why are they making these women do dumb stuff? I don't know. Next, we see the Cargill twins in some kind of temple uh, looking for Aegon. And they find him under some sort of like candle vigil. And Aegon is sniveling. Why did you pay her? I don't want to be king. But, you know, they drag him out anyway. Um, Sir Kristen and Aemon had spotted uh, the twins in the market with Otto. And so they followed him to the temple. And so they confront Eric with an A specifically on the steps. So Sir Kristen and Eric with an A are battling it out. Aegon tries to run away, but Amond, one-eyed patch, he tackles him and, you know, they get into it. Aegon spits in Amon's face and then Amon snatches him up again. And then Aegon starts begging like, look, I don't want to be king. I'm not fit to rule. I'll take a boat and you'll never see me again. And then Amon's like, that's fine with me because if you're out of the picture, then I get to be king. And then um, we see Sir Kristen take Aegon back to the Red Keep. Meanwhile, Otto's in his office uh, sending a message when Allison enters. Apparently, Rhaenys's words got through to her because she tells her dad that you've been using me all these years. And she lays down her terms because if you recall, and I hate to keep referencing Game of Thrones, but I can't help it, but... And it was back in the first season after King Robert died. And um, I think it was Littlefinger or Cersei. One of the two said, you know, whoever has custody of Joffrey, they are the one, that's the person who holds the power. So same is true in this situation. Because Alicent has custody of Aegon, she now has the power in her pocket. And so she lays down her terms to her dad. And she says, look, what we're not going to do is we're not going to murder Rhaenyra and Daemon. And I'm going to have Aegon rule and we're going to proceed as we see fit. And so her terms are these. She wants to send terms to Dragonstone to negotiate with Rhaenyra. I'm thinking, wow, that's really sweet. But you know, that's like never going to happen. Two, she wants Sir Kristen Cole to be commander of the King's Guard, Barf. Then she wants Aegon to be appointed king at dawn in front of all of King's Landing, double barf, and that uh, when that happens, Aegon will assume authority of the throne, and he's also going to wear Aegon's crown, Aegon the first crown, which I'm assuming is different than the crown Viserys was wearing, and uh, he will carry Blackfire, Aegon the first sword. In response to her laying down the law, Otto tells her that she looks like her mother. I'm like, ugh, the disrespect. He's basically like, by saying that, he's like 
disrespecting she wasn't talking about family she was talking about how we're going to proceed to govern and he's like oh you look like your mom how cute just another way to undercut a woman's authority and so after she leaves the room he says as you wish if i could punch through the screen so right after that allison gets herself something to drink and then here comes laris and she like visibly rolls her eyes but he has some tea for her, so, you know, she complies. And so here's where things get interesting. And this was not on my bingo card for ever happening on House of the Dragon, okay? Um, not on my bingo card, could not have predicted this. As the scene unfolds, the camera first focuses on Hilaris's feet. And I'm going to try to get through this as best as I can without laughing, but just bear with me. And the camera keeps focusing on, like, Allison's feet. And at first, I'm like, okay, you know, she's had a long day. You know, her feet probably hurt. So then, you know, she sits down and, you know, she takes off her shoes. So then Laris, who's, like, sitting in front of her, he lets her know that there's actually a network of spies in the Red Keep and they're telling all of her business. And so he stops. So then the camera goes back to Allison. And so she takes off her stockings and then puts her bare feet on the coffee table. And I'm like, why are they keep showing her feet like that? Right. I'm like, okay. Like I literally don't ever remember like watching people's feet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So then after that moves, Laris reveals some more information that her dad, Otto, has known about this network of spies and kept it going anyway because he's used that information to his advantage. And he lets it be known that Talia, her lady-in-waiting, is a spy. And he says, look, to get to destroy your dad's advantage, it, quote, must be taken out at the head. And then he says, when the queen dies, the bees fly without purpose. And then pardon the ton of phrase, madam. And it's just like, oh, he's so gross. And so, um, and so basically what he's saying is that if you want this spy network to shut down, I know who's leading it. I can take her out if you want me to. And, and so, um, and so then Allison responds like, okay, let me guess, you're the man for the job. And uh, Varys is like, if you wish it. And then this is, I had to stop and I literally had this exact reaction. Wait a gosh darn minute. Now we know how she has been paying Laris because I was wondering a few episodes back, I think episode six, I'm like, what is Laris's motivation? Like, why is he always trying to help her? Like, what what does he get out of this relationship? I'm almost sorry that I even asked that question. So it turns out that she has been paying Laris by showing her his, by showing him her feet while he pleasures himself. So... If you didn't catch that, Laris is a, a potophile. Laris is into potophilia. Potophilia, which is like the medical term for having a foot fetish. 
And so it's very common right now where people's like, oh, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, you know, but, you know, I guess if this is a yuck, it's a yuck. For me, it's a yuck for me. I'm sorry. I was just like ill-prepared. And so Allison like puts her feet up and out and she turns her head away while he's handling his business. And it's just like the most disgusting thing. And so this also brings me back to uh, episode six. And you may or may not recall, but I called out the fact that when Allison was going to her room, she passes a servant girl who like laughs at her before she enters her room. And when she got in the room, Laris is waiting for her. And so for me, it comes together like this. And I could be off base. I don't care. The servant slash spies knew that Allison was showing her feet to him this whole time. That's why they were laughing at her behind her back. Ah! (laughs) And this is why Allison can't be acting all holier than thou as she has been because she may not be touching Lairs, but she is definitely selling her body for information and she has to listen to him while he does that. Gross. So now it's late at night. No one can sleep. Aegon is being pitiful, eating in his room. Otto is up, plotting. Amon is sitting up in his room, staring at fire. Allison can't sleep. She's up. And Rhaenys is awake, thinking too. Then Eric with an E comes into Rhaenys's room with a cloak. And he's there to free her. He's like, I can't let this treachery stand. So he so next thing we see uh is Eric and Rainice uh walk past the body of Lord Caswell. So last time we saw him, he got taken away by the guards. Now we see his body, they hanged him. Then they're in like some like secret passage, I think in the basement, and uh, Rhaenyra pauses to look at one of the dragon skeletons. I don't know which dragon it is, but it's like a big one. And then um, we, er, she asks Eric where they're going, and he's leading her uh, on a path so she can escape uh, on back, Blackwater Bay. Then um, we see someone in a dark cloak walking away from Missaria's house, and guess what? Her house is on fire. Um, so Laris works very quickly. And so now it's dawn. And, uh, as a side note, I can finally see really well what's happening in the episode because once again, it's too daggone dark. Okay. Uh, now Eric has gotten her through the streets of King's Landing. Renice is like, Hey, I'm not going anywhere without my dragon. But he's like, look, you can't go back there. They're going to be looking for you there. And so um, after he says this, the, she gets they get separated by the crowds because everyone is being like pushed into the dragon pit uh, to they're They're all headed towards the dragon pit to watch Aegon's coronation. So Eric gets separated from Rhaenys and now she's on her own. So it's the morning of the coronation. Aegon and Allison are in the carriage riding to the dragon pit. 
And so Aegon is completely dejected. And Alicent is like, you need to be grateful. Do you have any idea how many times I had to show my feet to make this happen? <laughs> it's like, she didn't say that part, but you get what I'm going. She's basically like, you do, do you know what we had to do to put you in, put you on this throne? And he's like, my dad never wanted me to be king. He had 20 years to do it and never did. He upheld Rhaenyra's claim. He didn't even like me, which is all true. And Allison said that Viserys changed his mind on his deathbed and Aegon literally laughs in her face. And I hate this show for making me side with Aegon of all people in this moment, but even a broken clock is right twice a day. And so Alicent gives Aegon Viserys' knife. And then she tells him that, listen, Grandpa's Otto is going to tell you to kill Rhaenyra. Don't kill Rhaenyra. Don't kill anybody. You don't have to kill people to be a good king. And in response, he asks Alicent, he's like, Mom, do you love me? And her response is, you imbecile. <laughs> We cut to Rhaenyra watching the carriage pass by and she makes her way with the crowd to the dragon pit where Aegon is going to be crowned. So we're inside the dragon pit and Otto announces the death of King Viserys. His son Aegon will now be king. And there really aren't cheers initially but eventually the crowd starts clapping. And then the guards get into formation and Aegon walks down the aisle to the altar where Alicent, you know, kisses him on the forehead. All of this pageantry, all this ceremony. Then the High Septon, I'm assuming this is the High Septon, because they don't really clearly label people on this show, so this is my best guess. So the High Septon begins to anoint him, and Rhaenys is, you know, in the crowd, and so she leaves and goes downstairs. Then we see Helena like looking at Aegon. And then of all people, they have Sir Criston declare him as king and like puts the crown on his head. So Sir Criston declares Aegon as the true heir to the Iron Throne. And the crowd is like, mm. they kind of, the crowd likes kind of slowly embraces that and they, they start to clap. And then, you know, the claps get louder and Aegon starts feeling himself as the crowd cheers and then he feels more confident and then he pulls out Blackfire the sword and the crowd yells even harder and so he's waving his sword back and forth and then Rhaenys on her dragon named Maelys literally pop up out the floor starts wreaking havoc now listen to this.
just heard Renice's dragon, Maylise, screams in Allison, Otto, Aegon, Amon, Helena, Sir Kristen, scream, the dragon screams all in their faces. And I was just waiting because, like, you see Renice in not only is she riding her dragon, but she's like in battle armor ready to go. And I'm like, all you had to say was Dracarys. And she could have wiped all of them out. But she shows restraint and she doesn't. And so on the back of her dragon, Maylis, she flies off. And I'm assuming she's going straight to Dragonstone. So my overall thoughts. So first of all, for a penultimate episode compared to Game of Thrones, this one was very low key, but it had a really hot simmer all the way throughout. And then it's like, boom, at the end, we had something exciting happen. It really did set the table for the finale. Um, the best part for me for me of this episode was Rhaenys busting out of that floor <laughs> to like disrupt Aegon's coronation. Also, I was disappointed that I didn't see Rhaenyra or Damon or anybody on Team Black this episode because I really don't like anybody on Team Green. And I know throughout, you know, the course of this show, I've kind of oscillated back and forth. But like, at this point, I am solidly Team uh, Black and I really cannot stand not one person on Team Hightower, with the exception of Helena, mainly because I just feel like she doesn't really know what's going on. <laughs> well, no, I take that back. She knows what's going on, but she just chooses not to engage. Her prophecy of beware the beast beneath the boards, well, we figured that out. She was warning them about uh, Rhaenys flying up out the floor <laughs> on her dragon um, to rain on Aegon's parade. So thank you, Helena. And then once again, I'm going to lodge this complaint. 20 years have passed since the first episode and Sir Kristen still has black hair and baby smooth skin. And I'm thinking the producers of the show, they just don't even care about continuity at this point. So I'm just going to assume that uh, the Grand Maester is given Sir Kristen Botox treatments and dyeing his hair. Because like, there is no way in Westeros or in the real world, that after 20 years, Sir Kristen will look exactly the same. Like, that's garbage. Speaking of Sir Kristen, why on earth is he the one declaring Aegon as the true heir and king? Like, who the heck is he? Is it because he's now Lord Commander of the Kingsguard that he gets to, to say that? I feel like that declaration should be coming from either like this high septon or even the maester for crying out loud, not buster, raggedy, vindictive, disgusting Sir Kristen. Okay. What else were my thoughts? I, oh yes, yes, yes. Queen Alicent. And so I understand that the show you know, wanted to build in some sympathy for Alicent. But another bone to pick with her is that she does not think things through. And here's why the small council was looking to usurp Rainier anyway, right? But Alicent 
hears Viserys on his deathbed, literally his deathbed, right? She's taking Viserys' words, and we are talking about the same Viserys who has been hopped up on Milk of the Poppy, which is basically Westeros' version of opioids. So he's been high as a kite and is babbling about stuff. And so she takes his babbles as law, like as like the gospel. Despite the fact that just that same day, earlier that day, he literally rose from the dead to stop her plan and her dad's plan uh, to kind of in a backdoor way delegitimize Rhaenyra and her sons from inheriting the throne. So literally that day he rose up out of his deathbed, his sickbed to have his daughters back about the succession plans by some miracle he has sided with you and, and wanting Aegon you know, who is by all accounts a known rapist, drunkard, and awful person that he really didn't like that much anyway to be the king. Like, use some common sense, okay? That is why this annoys me. There is no common sense happening here. He's been drugged up and he's sleeping and he says something and now, oh, she takes that as him meaning that she, he wants egg on. Like, that doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even pass cross-examination. I blame the show for that. Also, it seems like she didn't really think through what that would mean for Rhaenyra at that point. She knows Rhaenyra better than anybody. Still, is not going to sit by and, you know, let someone steal her birthright from her so, like, she can, can negotiate. Negotiate what? She was... They're trying to usurp her, like... A fight is going to happen either way, Allison, and I don't know where her head is at. I also want to give Rainice her props, and I know I lauded her earlier, but like she came through, and when she arrived in that dragon pit on her dragon, and she didn't, you know, burn them all up like she could have, she was just letting them know. Y'all remember who I am, okay? Remember who you're dealing with. Because earlier in the episode, when Allison was listing, basically kind of putting all of her business out there, all of Rainice's business and all the turmoil she's been through. You know, her husband's been gone away for six years. You know, both of her kids have died and are dead. You know, and, you know, she doesn't really have much you know, in from Allison's perspective, you know, going on for her. But Renee was like, you don't know who you're talking to, sweetheart. Okay, let me remind you who I am. And so I just want to give it up to Rainice. She's the smartest person in Westeros that's featured on the show, in my opinion. Let me just give my claps to her. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of I Must Discuss. Man, oh man, what a journey it has been with House of the Dragon. I'm having a good time. I hope you are too. Couple of notes. Wanted to let you know that we have got email and you can send your feedback, questions, or suggestions to 
I must discuss podcast at gmail.com. We're also at I must discuss podcast on Instagram. And if you like I must discuss, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Until next time. Thank you.